Welcome to On to Mox, the FP Wellman. I am Fred Wellman, host of your show on the Thanksgiving Friday night. Oh my God, it's going to be a crowd tonight. Maybe not. <laughs> Either way, I hope you got over your turkey, turkey snooze and uh, whatever liquor. Nobody got in a fight at dinner, all those things. And you join us here on Friday night at the Miles Touch Network for a special solo episode of On to Mox with Just Me. So let's get on with the show. Oh man, we're back. As I mentioned, I am solo today. We're just going to go. We're just winging it, man. We're going live. Just me and Matt in the booth. It's the holiday week. People are out of town. I don't want to bother any guests. Uh, hopefully there's a bunch of you joining us tonight because you're bored. You're sick of grandma. You're sick of that uncle. That guy is so racist, right? I'm telling you. <laughs> anyway, I hope you're joining us here at the Midas Touch or on Andromoxy's YouTube or wherever you get your favorite podcast. If you are here on Friday night on a holiday weekend, be sure to say hi, drop me a note, say hi, Fred. I love the notes. I will respond to them, even the ones who call me terrible names, because that's America by God. Hey, I want to talk about a couple of things this week, though, and, and, and we're going to do, we're sort of doing this in a phased approach, right? First, we're going to talk about the bad stuff, the threats we face, and, and just how serious it is. And the theme is one that's been used by some really smart people on the internet that I love following. And, and, the, and the idea here is that a lot of people are talking about the odds of who's going to win the race, the odds of Biden versus Trump, the odds of DeSantis ever recovering from his own stupidity and his lifts versus the stakes. So what I want to talk about a little bit here is the stakes that are at stake, like what could happen if Donald Trump wins the presidency again, and, and then what the second part of it is that we take a break, we'll come back and we're going to talk about how we're going to win this thing. You know, what are the, what are the, how the good news are, where we're at, where things have been, and then what we're going to do and the things we should be talking about to, to bring America together, the issues that bring us together, and then uh, we'll go from there. So with that, I welcome, welcome to the show. I hope Mike Flynn's lawyers are here. We love having you guys here. I hope you watch the whole show. Got lots to say today, and you're going to love it. So even if you're just Mike Flynn's lawyer, make sure you bill. Anyway, so we're here with uh, me and myself. So, so the interesting thing this week, so things are happening. I've got this book up front. If you're watching the show, it's, it's called Strong Men by my friend Ruth Bangia. She's a former guest of the show before I joined Maya's Touch. Matt, we got to get her back on the show. Uh, but it, she hasn't been on since we joined the Maya's Touch Network. But she's, if you look on the old On Democracy podcast channel on YouTube, you'll find my interview with Ruth Bangia. And Ruth is a brilliant expert in, she actually focused mostly on Mussolini. But since then, she's followed authoritarian movements and fascist movements as, as truly an expert. And I just, this book is like, you can see it's kind of dog-eared because I use this book a lot. But what's interesting to me is the New York Times has really been coming on strong. And I know we all beat up the New York Times. I'm one of them. I beat them up a lot. The headlines get kind of weird. But the reporting has been really excellent lately about Project 2025, the very dark and really scary plans of uh, the, this organization being run by the, the Heritage of uh, Heritage Foundation folks, uh, and, as well as other issues around Trump. But this week, they really kind of came out strong. They did an article where, and here's up on screen, this the his screenshot of the cover, talking about how his rhetoric and his language is really setting off alarm bells with people who are experts in authoritarian movements like my friend Ruth ben -Giet. And I want to read you a little bit of the quotes that are in this thing, and you can see what we're talking about. And here's what here's one quote. There are echoes of fascist rhetoric, and they're very precise, said Ruth ben -Giet, professor at New York University, who studies fascism. The overall strategy is an obvious one of dehumanizing people, so that the public will not have as much of an outcry at the things that you want to do. 
That's some really strange. And what that means is that he's saying things. If you remember from his Veterans Day speech where he called people vermin, the fascist. You know, we're going we're gonna to clean out the communist and the fascist, you know, all these things, all these terrible things. This is an effort to keep dehumanizing his opponents. And it's part of the Republican movement, the attacks on LGBTQ, the attacks on using the term groomers for anybody who supports LGBTQ rights. This is a pattern that goes out through history. And, 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 and you can see the language. Here's a graphic from our friends at Midas Touch, where we, we talk specifically about the, the language he's using. I mean, look at com com the comparisons. Hitler said, I will get rid of the communist vermin. Trump literally said, I'll get rid of the communist vermin. I will take care of the enemy within. I will take care of the threat from within. On and on, we see the language that Trump is using echoes Hitler. And, and, and we have to take that very seriously. You know, fascism is an authoritarian, it's seen as an authoritarian, far-right system of government in which hyper-nationalism is the central component. And as they often say, it also features a cult of personality around a strongman leader. The justification of violence or retribution against opponents and the repeated denigration of the rule of law, said Peter Hayes, a historian who studies fascism. You know, the, it, it is... It is very real, okay? And, and, and past fascist leaders appeal to a sense of victimhood to justify their actions. The idea is we're entitled because we've been victimized. We've been cheated and robbed. Do you hear these words? I mean, you've heard these words. The constant discussion of 2024, they were cheated. They were robbed of their victory. Uh, I saw an interview with Stephen Miller with Steve Bannon where, where he's talking about, or excuse me, Don Jr., I think, talking about how liberals are using the, you know, have been using the courts against the, against their enemies, which is exactly what they want to do, including my friend Mike Flynn, okay, who are using the courts to attack their enemies very directly. So there's this, there's this constant title of victimization and being, uh, being taken away. And, and I think, though, we're doing ourselves a disservice if we keep looking back 100 years. Because I don't know if you realize this. Last week or two weeks ago was the 100th anniversary of the Beer Hall Putsch, okay? The Munich, the Munich Putsch, uh, where Hitler and his followers tried to take over the Bavarian government uh, during a Beer Hall meeting uh, with the leaders of the Bavarian government were in a Beer Hall giving speeches, and then tried to take over the Bavarian government, and then in theory marched to uh, uh, Berlin, much as Mussolini had marched to Rome. It failed, but it didn't get rid of uh, Hitler. But I, I just find it ironic and, and interesting that that's 100 years this week. But things we don't need to go back. What's wonderful about Ruth's book, for example, is Ruth doesn't just talk about these 100-year-old fascist movements, the OG fascist who coined the term himself, Mussolini, but modern ones, modern authoritarians like Erdogan in Turkey, like Putin in Russia, like uh, Orban in Hungary, the people that Trump absolutely worships and is constantly bringing out. My God, CPAC held a meeting in Hungary with Viktor Orban, okay, an authoritarian leader. And keep in mind, all these people were elected, and I do air quotes when I say they're elected. And so we've got a real threat of an authoritarian who's angry, who's saying the words of victimization, who is saying all the things that people want to hear on his side and telling us what they're going to do. And that's the thing. He is saying exactly what their plans are. You can read Project 2025, as I've mentioned in previous videos and the podcast, it's available on the Heritage's, Heritage's website. It's something like, I don't know. 900 pages or something, but you can download it and you can read their plan. Now, of course, the really juicy stuff's not in there. We found out from other reporting. But our friends, again, at Minus Touch have a great graphic they just posted. Here you can look at it. And the graphic lays out. Here's the handy list of what Trump has said he's going to do 
when he gets back in power. He's going to implement a national abortion ban. Okay, he said that in several interviews. He said that many times. Hell, during 20, I think 2016 or 2020 uh, campaign, he literally said there should be punishment for women who get abortions. He has said very clearly he's going to reenact the family separation uh, system at the border, one we're only just recovering from as these children were separated from their families have been lost in the United States uh, foster care system. Many of them separate from their parents for years for nothing, no real crime except coming with their parents. Ma along that immigration line, mass detention crowds for, uh, camps for immigrants. Uh, that goes along with things we've reported in another video I did for Midas Touch, where we talk about uh, unannounced raids of workplaces using the National Guard and deputizing local police to raid businesses, raid homes, scoop people up, fast track them out of the country. He's already said there's gonna be tax cuts for the ultra wealthy. He's mad that his friends are getting, are getting, uh, you know, getting targeted. He's going to use Schedule F to gut the civil service and staff our government with MAGA loyalists. We're going to have, he's or promised we wants more guns, not less. And he wants them in classrooms. He said that several times in speeches. When, when Trump brings up education, he goes right to guns. He's going to stock our DOJ with lawyers who ignore the rule of law and prosecute his opponents. He said very clearly uh, a number of interviews that he plans to prosecute the Bidens. He wants to prosecute all those of his own people from the first term who offended him, like uh, General Kelly uh, and, and uh, uh, Ty Cobb and others, and of course, William Barr. He wants to prosecute them because they, they, came, they, they were disloyal to him. And he's said too many times to count he's going to pardon the January 6th insurrectionist. That's just a short list. I mean, I, I love my friends at my Touch. That's actually a kind of short list. That doesn't talk about bringing back our friend Mike Flynn. It doesn't talk about Stephen Miller getting put back in the government. It doesn't talk about this guy, Mike Davis, who is being touted by Bannon to be the next attorney general, who literally is threatening people and saying they're going to be thrown in jail. Talk about Mehdi Hassan. Yesterday he tweeted that he's going to deport and denaturalize Mehdi Hassan. Talk about putting Tim Miller. Tim Miller, who's a former guest of the show as well. Tim Miller, who happens to be gay, he's going to. He, he literally said on Twitter or X, what you want to call it, uh, Tim Miller would be putting the women's detention camp. Ha 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 ha. This is a guy who wants to be Attorney General of the United States. And all that's before we talk about Project Twenty Twenty Five. I mean, in there you've got a complete remaking of the executive branch. Direct control things like the Federal Trade Commission, Federal um, Elections, uh, FEC, uh, the, the FCC, um, the idea that Trump has said in speeches previously that when people tell lies, they shouldn't be able to broadcast in the United States. He, he's literally talked about shutting down, pulling the licenses for, for MSNBC, for example, if they dare talk about them. This is authoritarian stuff, okay? This is the stuff that authoritarians do. And by the way, if you hadn't read this book, Strongman, you should get a copy of it because you will not regret it. We need to see this for what it is. We need to believe him when he tells us things. Trump is saying very clearly that he has a plan and that plan is going to be implemented. And the thing we need to really, really consider is it isn't just Trump. And this is where it gets really scary. The Heritage Project, that project with the Project 2025, um, that they've got 75 groups, 75 groups involved and uh, funded with at least $22 million. They're vetting people right now to join a future Republican administration. And that's key what they say. They don't actually say Trump. They say Republican administration. They have floated this to DeSantis. They have supposedly talked to Nikki Haley. They've supposedly talked to Joe Manchin, for God's sake, about their plans. And it all looks very innocuous on the surface. Oh, these are just things Republicans avoid, conservative government. But there's nothing conservative about the idea of throwing your opponents in jail. There's nothing conservative about literally banning the use of the term LGBT. 
I mean, all these terrible things you're seeing in local school boards, banning books, getting rid of DEI programs, it's incredible. And that's in there. That is not just all that, as my friend David, uh, David likes to say, is it is the, was it the laboratories of autocracy at the local level, right? The laboratory of autocracy, you're seeing the experiments at school boards. You're seeing the experiments at state level. A perfect example of this is the Media Matters fight right now with Elon Musk. If you know the story, if you've missed it, I don't know how you've missed it, but if you did, Media Matters for America is a, a watchdog group. They are very, very careful. They're very um, on watch for right-wing things like the Fox News and, of course, Elon Musk's activity on Twitter. They did an experiment where they created Twitter accounts and they ran and they did certain searches and they refreshed their screens regularly to see what ads ran against anti-Semitic or neo-Nazi content. And what they found was that corporations, many corporations were having their ads served up against virulently anti-Semitic content, virulently pro-Nazi content. Uh, Elon went nuts on this. And of course, Stephen Miller rolled in, the Nosferatu himself rolls in and he, he tweets out that, hey, you know, this is, this is fraud. They committed fraud because what they did was they created these fake accounts and then kind of trolled and, and we should sue them. So Elon's going to sue them. But what really should be scary to you is both Ken Paxton in Texas and our attorney general acting, well, I guess called acting attorney general here in Missouri, you appointed attorney general Andrew Bailey, piped right up and said they're in. They're going to investigate this. So you've got Elon going to Stephen Miller directing state attorney generals, Republican state attorney generals, to open criminal investigations against those who question the power structure of the far right. That should make your blood run cold in every way possible. The idea that a millionaire, a billionaire like Elon Musk and a troll like Stephen Miller can direct state attorney generals to do use their positions to silence opposition to their movement. That is fascism right there. That is authoritarian right there. So you don't need to look back to Hitler. You don't need to look back to Mussolini. Look right here. Look right here. Look in Missouri, where the attorney general is more interested in prosecuting people who don't live in Missouri. Media Matters for America isn't based in Missouri. Why the hell is he getting involved in this? Because they want to get the money from the conservative movement. They want to get the attention. I assure you, Bailey's going to get what he, he got what he wanted. He got right on Fox News that night. That's what he wanted. Okay? The system is built for them. They've got their own infrastructure, and they make millions of dollars doing it. It always goes back to money, y'all. It always goes back to money. They're making millions and billions of dollars. The, the Trump empire, the Trump ecosphere is a money winner, and they're just raking it in. So that's the stakes we face if we don't take this movement seriously, if we don't take Donald Trump at his word, if we don't say, talk to our neighbors and say, hey, this is what he's proposing. This is what he's, this is uncomfortable. These are uncomfortable conversations. But these are the real effects. And I did a video this week for my social, and we'll try to link to it, where I talked about the, the immigration stuff. What it looked like when I was working in Iraq. You know, after, after I, I worked in Iraq right after the fall of Saddam, and I talked to Iraqis about what life was like under a dictatorship, under a strong man who's mentioned in this book, under an authoritarian government, and how citizens turned on citizens. I saw a story just the other day 
where it t they interviewed, I believe it was the Washington Post, forgive me it wasn't, it could have been somebody else, I apologize, but they interviewed people who are Russians who are turning in their neighbors in Russia for being disloyal. Like if somebody even talks about negatively about the Ukraine war, they're turning them in. They're losing their jobs, they're being fired, they're being thrown in jail. Just this week, Russia convicted a young woman who had the audacity to replace price tags on items in a store, I think six of them, with messages about the Ukraine war being, uh, being a, a, a bad, okay? Six of them, and she got seven years in jail, seven years shipped off to Siberia. Imagine that, imagine that here, where if you dare speak ill of the power that they can throw you in jail, because you don't have to imagine it. They're using the legal system to sue people. I don't know, people you may know being sued for simply speaking out. That's the stakes we face. So we're gonna to have to have some very uncomfortable conversations the next year. Um, I believe that time is coming, but that's what we face. So let's do this. Let's take a brief break. We got some cool sponsors this week. Lomi and I think Real Paper are great sponsors. And we're gonna come back and then we're gonna talk about the good news. The good news is, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a preview, we're winning. With that, let's take a break. Lomi is the only appliance that prevents food waste from staking up your kitchen and polluting the planet. Now that I've invested in a Lomi, it's changed the way I deal with my food waste. Lomi is the biggest innovation in the modern day kitchen since the dishwasher. It's helped me turn my home into a climate solution. And now I can transform my organic waste into nutrient-rich Lomi earth I can feed to my plants, lawn, or garden instead of sending it to the landfill. I can help the environment and make my life easier. In just four hours, Lomi transforms almost anything you eat into nutrient-rich plant food at the push of a button. It's smart, simple food recycling that fits my space perfectly. You can cut the chore of doing the trash in half and eliminate bugs and odors in your kitchen. And here's a bonus, you get to feed your lawn and garden with an all-natural fertilizer that you just created out of your food scraps. All my food scraps, be it plant clippings, even those leftovers I forgot in the back of the fridge can go into my garden, helping me grow more nutritious food at home. I learned that food waste makes up a huge portion of our personal carbon footprint. By reducing the amount of food I send to the landfill, I'm helping do my part for the planet. Now, whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or, you know, just like me, grow just a really beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Now, head to Lomi dot com slash fred use the promo code fred to get fifty dollars off your lomi that's fifty dollars off and you head to l-o-m-i dot com slash fred use promo code fred at checkout thank you to lomi for sponsoring this episode we appreciate your support trees are a renewable resource but you know not an unlimited resource i mean honestly trees don't actually grow on trees right so everyday companies are clear-cutting force just to produce toilet paper Trees and wood are amazing resources, but doesn't make sense to use them for a product we only use once and flush away. You know, those trees deserve better. That's why Real Paper uses bamboo to make their sustainable toilet paper. Not only does bamboo grow incredibly fast, you know, because it, it's a grass. It can be cut, harvested over and over again, just like the grass in your lawn. So when you use real, it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing trees or you know, look, I'm a tree hugger. I'm, I admit it freely. If you guys follow me, you know I hike every day. I'm out in the woods. And to know we're cutting down these beautiful trees for toilet paper, it just doesn't make sense. So real in a lot of ways feels like an upgrade to me for my heart. 
It's always shipped free to my door. It's plastic free shipping packaging. Again, it can schedule it. I can schedule it right on my right on the line. Subscription goes exactly where I need it, when I need it. I never have to worry about forgetting to buy anything at the store. Real is partnered with One Tree Planted. So with every box of real that you buy, they're funding like reforestation efforts. And if you've ever hiked in one of those places where they're putting new trees in, it's beautiful to see. And it needs money. So unlike other TP that cuts down trees, real is actually helping organizations to replant our forest and to grow our trees back. So look, real paper is available in easy, hassle-free subscriptions for an online purchase or a one-time purchase on their website. All orders are conveniently delivered to your doorstep with free shipping, 100% recyclable, plastic-free packaging. So if you head to Real Paper, I want you to go to realpaper.com slash Fred. You sign up for subscription using my code Fred. You're going to get 30% off your first order and free shipping. So that's Real Paper, R-E-E-L, P-A-P-E-R dot com slash Fred or enter promo code Fred to get that 30% off your first order and free shipping. So let's make a change for good this year, right? Switch to real paper, real is paper for the planet. And we're thrilled to have him a sponsor for this show. And we're back. Oh man. So I don't want you to spend your holiday weekend being all depressed about the end of the world. So let's talk about why it ain't the end of the world. <laughs> okay. So let's flip the script a second, right? And I'm going to page on down. And you guys have heard me say this before, we are winning. And I know it's hard to see when you hear stuff like I just walked through, all those are plans. All those are his statements, okay? Those are the stakes if we don't win. But what I want to tell you what is that we are winning. And I know you're going to say, but Fred, the poll came out in the Hill and it said, Trump's up by four points. Oh, Fred, the polls, the polls. Dean Phillips is basing an entire campaign on the polls. The polls are so bad. Uh, you know, I'm going to tell you a little secret. So I'm, I'm helping one of our local state Senate races and uh, they just published in a newsletter here, a political newsletter here. And so, you're going to love this. They just published a newsletter here, a political newsletter. It goes out every day. Uh, Missouri Scout, I think it's called. Anyway, so somebody paid to do a survey, a poll of Missouri State Senate District here in West St. Louis County. Pretty nice area, pretty well off, very engaged, very high, highly educated area, right? So these are engaged people in West St. Louis County, and they polled the Republican primary. And there's three gentlemen, well, three men, three men. <laughs> Let's not get carried away. Three men. There's three men running for state Senate on the Republican side. One's the mayor of a town, there's a county commissioner, all the, so they're, they're well-known political, local political. And uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but each of them got like 13% for one guy and 15% for another guy. But the punchline is the largest number of this poll taken last week here in St. Louis was 70% unsure. 70% unsure, okay? Now, why do I tell you that story? Because you know what? It's the holidays, it's Christmas, there's no Democratic primary, People are still decide they want to run. Politics, especially on the progressive side, hasn't really kicked in. I know for those of you who watch this show, and if you follow me on any of my social channels, you know we're, we're totally into politics. But this is going to shock you. We are not normal. Okay, <laughs> A lot of folks, a lot of folks, a lot of average Americans are not as tuned in. Look, and we can criticize that or not. I, I, I get it, man. I, I, this stuff makes me crazy. I, was, I may have been super grumpy today for a lot of reasons. It may be politics as part of it. But having said that, this poll is a perfect set example, what I'm telling you, is that the average person, the average voter really isn't paying attention. So when you see polls 
who are these people? You know, they, these people were, I don't, I don't know much about them, but you know, I've seen Trump on TV. It, you just don't know. So, so polls, let's set those aside. Let's talk about democratic wins. And, and here's a graphic um, we could throw up here, but this is just a couple three weeks ago, the election, November 7th. This is the wins that day. Wisconsin, Democrats flipped control of the state Supreme Court. Uh, Kentucky, Governor Andy Bashir, a Democrat, won re-election handily. Pennsylvania, uh, they, uh, Daniel McCreary was elected to the state Supreme Court, giving them a still a liberal majority. In Philadelphia, Charlie Parker, a Democrat, was elected mayor. Um, Rhode Island, uh, Gabe Amo, which is the first African-American to represent Rhode Island, was elected to Congress. Jersey, Democrats picked up seats. Connecticut, Democrats won local mayor's races. Most importantly, in Ohio, the constitutional amendment Ensuring access to reproductive freedom was passed overwhelmingly, even though Republicans were trying to stop it. In Virginia, in my my old home state, got a sticker right here, Virginia right here. In Virginia, Glenn Youngkin's master plan to take over the Senate and the House faced a drubbing. And not only did he not take over the, the Senate like he'd hoped, he lost the House as well. Most of these based on issues we're going to talk about in a minute, they are a big win. So when you see when you see these polls, just remember, polls aren't votes. Votes are votes. And, and as I've said before, you're probably sick of hearing it. If you hear anyone open a conversation with, if the election was held tomorrow, just go, stop. It's not. It's not tomorrow. It's a year from now. Okay? So the stakes, as I mentioned, are very high, but the momentum is at our backs. And so I want to talk about that a little bit. So let's talk about some good, like, uh, let's talk about some good news. And let's talk some Thanksgiving good news, right? Because it's Thanksgiving weekend. Let's start this weekend. We, you, can tell, you can tell your neighbors and friends and family uh, while you're sitting there watching football, because I understand now we have football on Friday too. <laughs> the average cost of a Thanksgiving dinner for 10 people was $61.17. That's down from $64.05 last year. So the price of your Thanksgiving dinner went down. That's deflation, folks, not inflation. Gasoline prices are down 10% from this time last year. That's 13% when you adjust for inflation. Gas is down in many places, many states. You're paying less than $3. I paid $270 the other day. $270 for gas. Okay, that's great news. But here's a really cool one. Thanksgiving flight deals are averaging $248 for a domestic round trip, according to flight, flight, uh, excuse me, flight tracking site Hopper. That's down from $271 last year. That's down from $276. In 2019, before the pandemic, that's right, you're hearing right, plane tickets are less now than they were before the pandemic. Airfare overall was down 13% in the latest U.S. inflation report. So the pieces that went to the puzzle for your weekend, I know it's hard to see it sometimes because you go to the store and everything's expensive and oh my God, there is good news, okay? The prices are coming down and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna jinx it, I'm gonna knock on wood, but there are actually some reports coming out that the experts expect deflation, that prices will actually start coming down. If you look at these main commodities, you're seeing some prices coming down. And that's before we talk about, did you guys see the news that came out? To, I don't know, Matt saw it, but um, turns out Kraft and other companies sued the egg manufacturing industry, uh, the eggs, because as it turns out, that giant jump in egg prices last year about this time that everybody blamed on Biden inflation was actually price fixing from the egg industry where they purposely exported more eggs overseas to drive the domestic price up. And these major companies took a drubbing because they pay in bulk for egg items and now they're suing. It hasn't gotten a lot of news. So that big kerfuffle about high priced eggs was all just fake, all fake. So coming back to where we're at, then, oh my God, I forgot to mention unemployment. 
record record low unemployment, best in 50 years, best string of unemployment numbers, uh, employment numbers in 50 years. These all add up. So when people say, oh, Bidenomics, which is not a term I'm a huge fan of, being honest, the economy is doing better and we're a year out. We have time. So what should we be talking about? Now I want to turn to this last section of the show and you've heard hints of this elsewhere. If you read my Substack, you may have heard some of this, but I want to reiterate here. And those issues, I call them supermajority issues. I think my friend Jeff Timmer may have coined that term for me, but when he was in the show about three weeks ago, supermajority issues, and I call them supermajority issues, not bipartisan issues, not, you know, not cross-partisan. I hate that shit. They are supermajority and, and the idea that these issues are so hugely supported in poll after poll and survey after survey and then actions at polls, because remember, I told you, votes count, that these are what I call supermajority issues. And the, the idea that these are issues you can run on that are democratic issues, they're democratic issues and by historically, but that every American is starting to see the value of these issues. Well, let's start at the time. Those three, those three, well, four areas are reproductive freedom, reproductive freedom, reproductive rights, uh, reasonable gun safety measures, union and labor organizing, and democracy. Four major issues that we in the pro-democracy movement are, are, are supportive of that have been traditionally democratically, uh, democratic leaning issues are actually super majority issues. Let me go through some of the numbers for you. Let's talk about first reproductive freedom. Here's a poll up here, I'm gonna throw it in the screen and I'll, I'll read you some of the numbers. Uh, but the bottom line is, a oh, shocking number in recent AP poll, 73%, 73% of Americans believe women should have reproductive rights and reproductive freedom to include abortion up to a point. I won't we'll get into the details there. Some are higher, some are lower. You know, I don't want to get into weeks. That's just, but 73% of Americans believe women should have some access to abortion some and, and reasonable access to reproductive care. Reasonable. And here's the interesting thing buried in that poll. That number goes to 58%, which is lower in states with the most restrictive rules. For example, in here in Missouri where I live, Missouri was the very first state to kick in their anti-abortion law when, wrote, when Dobbs came out. They signed it the same. Now, Eric Schmidt was still attorney general then. He was, it was his big triumphant thing he did before getting elected to the Senate. Banning abortion in the state of Missouri in every case, the most draconian measure you can imagine. 58% of people polled in the most restricted states still support a woman's right to choose, reproductive freedom, a woman's access to abortion to some point in her life. That's a supermajority, folks, okay? And then, and, and, the, and the truth backs it up, right? We, we don't have to look any further than seeing what's happened. Ohio, overwhelming support. Kansas, overwhelming support. Wisconsin's Supreme Court race, Virginia's legislative races, abortion's about, and why is abortion about? You, you guys, I gotta tell you a funny story. And, and it is, it's funny because if you're a political hack like me, and if, if you're not familiar with that term, people like me who are work on campaigns and run PACs, we call ourselves politicos or political hacks. So I think I know I've confused listeners before that term, but I, I call myself a political hack. Hacks like me, when Dobbs came out, it was very interesting. A lot of the expertise, the hacks were saying, you know, the pundits were saying, well, the further we get away from the, traditionally, when a controversial decision is made in the Supreme Court, or a controversial law is passed, like Obamacare, you do that really early in the term, uh, congressional term or elective president's term, so that time, as time goes by, that issue is less important. There was actually a lot of theory that's one of the reasons the Supreme Court picked right after the last election. I I'm not going to besmirch them. Um, and my friends at the Supreme Court besmirch themselves enough on their own. They don't need my help. 
Having said that, there really were people. I mean, it seems common sense, right? Well, sure, Dobbs is very controversial, and you know, time goes by. But here's the thing: who's saying that? Is it men? Because I got to tell you, it sure as hell ain't women. Have you talked to women about her reproductive system? Okay, because I'm going to tell you a little secret, men. Women get up every goddamn day, almost, and have to worry about their reproductive freedom, their reproductive rights, be it access to their their needs as far as going to the store and have to pay taxes on things like tampons and everything else, to getting access to birth control, to every time they have uh, relations with their husband or anyone else, they have to worry about getting pregnant. If they do get pregnant, will they be able to take care of it? How about this? If they get pregnant and want to have a child, will they even have access to health care for themselves? Because rural hospitals are closing down. In some states, they're closing down all of their OBGYN clinics for having children because the doctors are so scared they don't want to work like in Idaho. There's literally whole swaths of our country right now where a woman cannot go to a hospital and have a baby safely because there's no uh, natal clinic. So believe me, women don't get the option to not think about reproductive freedom every damn day. So the joke, the idea that some male political pundits are like, well, you know, traditionally, they, uh, we all move on. I got to tell you, folks, if you've been paying attention for the last two years, women are not fucking moving on. They're not. They're pissed. A lot of women are pissed. I did a minor survey of my direct family, and they're pissed. Women are well aware of this. That's why it's not going away, folks. That's why abortion and, 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 and reproductive rights and reproductive health care is on every ballot. It will always be on every ballot. Because if you're a woman who lives in a state like Missouri, you're very goddamn well aware of what your reproductive rights are. And you're very well aware you ain't got none. At some men, mostly men, some men in a state capital decided how long you've got to decide you want to have an abortion. How long you got to finally find out? Six weeks is so fucking ridiculous. Most women don't even know they're pregnant at six weeks. My second child I had, we had had a child, okay? My daughter was born, it was great. My ex-wife was recovering, it was great. We hadn't seen each other in a while, I was in the army, I was deployed a lot. My daughter was, what, uh, I wanna say four or five months old when my wife walked in with a freaking pregnancy test. She'd gotten pregnant again, unbeknownst to us. At that point, she was seven or eight weeks in. Already too late to have an abortion if we wanted one, which you didn't, of course. But most women don't know. So these these ridiculous rules that men are making, that they, they want to fool you into believing it's reasonable, isn't reasonable. And that's why Glenn Youngkin failed. We were all watching Virginia to see if this Glenn Youngkin bullshit, where he said, oh, well, it's a re we found a reasonable measure. We're going to let it go 15 weeks, and then it'll be illegal. And then, and they'll still have, you know, you still be able to get one for cases of rape and incest because we're totally reasonable, a totally reasonable restriction. And guess what women said? F you. He lost. And a lot of us were watching that to see maybe, because Republicans were convinced this was their winning argument. Their winning argument was reasonable restrictions. It's that second word, y'all. That second word. It's still a goddamn restriction. I don't know about y'all. I live in America. I don't like being told what the hell I can, can or cannot do. And I got to tell you, none of the women in my life want to be told what to do by a bunch of old men deciding how long they've got to figure out if they want to have a child or not. Or even worse, can they have a child using in vitro fertilization or other reproductive techniques that they see the abortionists don't like those either. See, the abortionists hate IVF. 
because some of the fertilized eggs are, taught, are, are, are set aside once, once one takes. They still see that as an abortion. I know, I fought this thing for Wounded Warrior Project because for years the VA was prescribed they could not provide in vitro fertilization techniques for wounded warriors who were wounded in combat and wanted to have children. It was banned. Panned as the goddamn zoo could have it, members of Congress could have it, but not veterans. So I know a lot about this for my personal work. So let's be very, so that's one, reproductive freedom. Let's talk about reasonable gun safety. Here's a poll, throwing it up now. This is a staggering poll. You think, you think guns are controversial, right? We all do. But let's be honest. Guns are the number one killer of children in America. Think about that. We're an advanced civilization. We're one of the most free living. We're, we're an icon of country. And in the world, we are far and away the most dangerous place for guns in the world. Imagine an advanced country that allows our children to be murdered by guns. The number one killer of children is guns and does nothing about it nothing so we have to have a new conversation about guns and what the right does is they keep saying oh well gun grabbers democrats are gun grabbers i want to take my gun i don't give a shit i don't want to take your gun i have a gun i have a great gun i need to put one of those signs in my house I, you know protected by smith and wesson my house is protected by smith and wesson i'm a goddamn soldier i'm the son of a marine i've had guns in my life since before i was a toddler locked up in a box safely I was trained on them, first by my father, then the United States Army. So here's this interesting poll. It's been up there the whole time. And the poll was done by Fox News of registered voters, registered voters, in I believe April. 87% of Americans support requiring criminal background checks on all gun buyers, including 83% support from gun-owning households. 81% of Americans want to see improved enforcement of existing gun laws. A note on that. A note on that. In Missouri, they just got a law rejected that they put in place that forbade our local police from participating and supporting federal gun laws. Literally, they made it illegal for the police to support federal gun restrictions or laws or enforce them. Okay? In Missouri. Luckily, that's been thrown out by an appeals court, but it'll probably end up the Supreme Court. 81% of Americans support raising the legal age to buy a gun to 21, including 76% of gun-owning households. 80% of Americans support allowing police to take guns from those considered a danger themselves or others. These are known as red flag laws, including, again, 76% of gun-owning households. Three weeks ago here in St. Louis, where I live, a cop who worked for one of the, the county police got angry at a trunk retreat. Okay, believe it or not, at the local middle school, elementary school kids going from car to car getting candy. It's supposed to be the safe place to do it so you don't go in dark streets. Got mad, took his gun out, emptied his magazine in the air before he was tackled. He had been acting like a nut job for at least a week to include chasing a woman down the main street of a, a little town in the suburbs here, my hometown, and running into cars to the point where the police knew it was him. They are literally banned in Missouri from taking away his gun. It's actually illegal to take his gun. So not only are not red flag laws in this state, it's illegal to enforce them if you did, okay? So, Mary Merck, so believe that, can you imagine that? How often do you hear Republicans say, it's not a gun problem, it's a mental health problem? And then you say, okay, great, it's a mental health problem. So if people are crazy, you take their guns away. Whoa, no, 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 we don't want to take their guns away. That, that's, 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 that's restricting the Second Amendment. They just want guns. Finally, 61% of Americans support banning assault rifles and semi-automatic weapons, including, including 
50% support of taking away or banning, excuse me, banning assault rifles in gun owning households. 50% of people even own guns are saying those weapon chip industries. So reasonable gun safety measures, common sense gun safety measures are not unpopular. These are overwhelming numbers. I mean, come on, 87%. I, I challenge you to find 87% support for a goddamn thing in America ever. But these, these are things we should run on. We need to stop this plague of murder in our streets. And more guns and gunfights and shootouts ain't the freaking answer. Next, unions and labor organizing. Man, has it been a good summer for unions, right? Huge wins for labor. UPS, the actors, the writers, healthcare workers. And now, of course, United Auto Workers just ratified their contract this week. Oh my God, it was great. I, I know you told, heard me tell the story several times in the show about the interview I saw early in the campaign, <clears throat> excuse me, the strike, when a young woman, a, a woman, actually an older woman in, in Michigan was interviewing the news and said, we just want to be middle class again. Circle back to the Washington Post. This is my Substack. If you watch, if you if you read my Substack, I did a Substack on this. There was a quote from a young man who's 26 years old, I believe, worked for I think I believe Ford, and he was interviewed by a Washington Post reporter, and his pay went up ten dollars an hour, and his benefits, and he was beside himself. This is a Gen Zer. He says this means I can finally move out of my mom's house and get my own place, and then he said the crazy thing: I can afford auto insurance now. Auto insurance. We were paying this young man to work in a factory so little, he had to live with his parents. And we bashed Gen Z, but Gen Z sees this. Gen Z sees the differential. So here's a poll that was run by um, Labor itself. I, I, I wanna say, I can't remember what union it was, I'm embarrassed to say, but they ran a poll back in uh, Labor Day for September. Labor union support transcend, so 71% of Americans up front, 71% of Americans support unions and organizing, union labor organizations. So that's a huge number. But let's dig into that a little bit. It just transcends party lines. 91% of Democrats support unions, 69% of independents, and even 52% of Republicans support unions. Americans support better wages. Three-fourths of Americans support workers going on strike to negotiate for better wages, with nearly half saying they strongly support doing so. This is where it really gets interesting. Young people support the labor movement. Voters under 30 show wide support for unions. 88% approve of unions, and 90% say they support strikes, okay? Because I'll tell you why. Millennials and Gen Zers have seen the devastation from the economy and the, and the, the, the split in haves and has-nots. And while millionaires and billionaires are getting richer and richer, average Americans are falling behind. Gen Zers have to live at home because they can't afford their own place. The wages have stagnant. They had not gotten a pay raise at UAW since 2008. 2008. There's no, there was no cost of living adjustment in their contract. So they were allowed to just ignore them. And in the last four years, the CEOs and the C-suites made millions. Their pay went up 40% in three years. People are seeing this. And it doesn't matter what party they belong to. When you can't afford to pay your bills, it doesn't matter what goddamn party you belong to. You just want to make more money. And so the labor movement has been a traditionally democratic place. But... Now it's a supermajority place because it transcends party lines. It, it, it transcends class lines. It transcends all of that because all of us can sit back and see the rich getting richer and the average American falling further behind. So those are three big issues. Now, finally, the last one, and this is where it gets a little weird, and I always hesitate to put this one in the list, but democracy. Polls have shown 
I want to say 80% of Americans believe our democracy is in danger. Now, that is evenly split between the two parties. And I'll tell you why. Don't get too excited about that one. Because on the Democratic side, we're worried about our democracy based on the first half of the show, or well, I guess one-fourth of the show at this point, where I talked about the threats to our democracy that include, I don't know, an authoritarian government throwing people like me in jail. Because obviously I'm on a lot, I'm on a list because Mike Flynn's lawyers are watching the show. <laughs> I'm on the show. I'm on somebody's list. People like me are like, oh shit, man. Uh, am I going to the gulag? Because that would suck. I, I look terrible in gray. Well, I don't know. I kind of look good in gray. Yeah, we diverse. <laughs> but <laughs> I on our side, that's the thing. We think there's danger in it. Now, on the right, they think, oh, the left is stealing our democracy. They're they're stealing votes and they're flipping, you know, Hugo Chavez is flipping my vote from the grave. <laughs> you know, it's a different version of what they're worried about democracy. But bear in, me, bear in mind and, and mark my word, democracy is also on the ballot this cycle. And it's on the pocket, it's on the ballot for de Democrats. And Democrats want to hear you talk about that. Democratic voters want to hear people are going to fight. Democratic voters consistently, as I talk to them, as I do my work as a political consultant, consistently we're hearing from Democratic voters, we want people to fight for us. We are sick and tired of seeing the right own the conversation on democracy and bulldoze us. Use the legal system against us. Use the you know use their massive amount of money they're raising to, to to bully things. Now, if you saw it just this week, okay, just this week, Thanksgiving again, Stephen Miller's, I don't know, Nazi legal group, what would they call themselves, have filed like they filed a lawsuit against Macy's because Macy's discriminate against discriminates against white men, white straight men. You know the Macy's Day Parade, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. They they wanted to boycott it because they support LGBTU. You know what's you know what's in New York? Broadway, okay? The Macy's Parade is always drawn from Broadway, okay? LGBTQ friendly fucking place, okay? This son of a bitch, this vampire looking bastard is trying to sue because of discrimination against white men. That's where we're at, okay? So democracy is very much on the ballot as well. And we need to have that honest case. So it circles back to what we said at the beginning. Segwaying back to the very beginning of this, our democracy really is at stake here. And the stakes couldn't be higher. And we have to recognize that. And we have to fight for that. So what are you going to do? That's where I get to the point where I ask you what you're going to do. What are you going to do? And, and a lot of times those political hacks ask for money. Give money to somebody. Look, uh, money's great. I'd love you to give to Forgotten Democrats. ForgottenDemocrats.com. Check it out. .org. <laughs> you know, I love Forgotten Democrats, what I do, what we're trying to do to help candidates. But in the end, we also need to start at home, right? Start with a local candidate. See what they need. See if they're, they're, they're just getting organized right now, y'all. Your congressional candidate, your state senator candidate, your state house rep, even your city council, your school board, for God's sake, they're getting organized now. They desperately need volunteers. They desperately need you to be brave and knock on doors. They need you to stand on the side of the road and wave a flag. They need you or wave a sign. They need you to put a sign in your yard. They need you to do those things because democracy and liberty starts at home, right in your hometown. That's so easy to do. And it doesn't cost money. It just costs time. And it costs a little bit of courage. I, I tell you, you guys, I'm not going to lie. If you've never canvassed, if you're not knocked on doors, it is uncomfortable. I'm telling you, man, especially in this modern era where people shoot people. It is nerve-wracking. It's nerve-wracking knocking on a strange door and not sure who's going to answer the door. Saying, hi, I'm here with X. I'm here to tell you about Mr. Smith running for Congress and have them slam the door in your face. Or, no, I can't do that. Democrats are evil. You should hear the stories my friend Jess Piper says. 
But we had to do that. We had to have these conversations because canvassing and knocking doors and making phone calls, phone banking, that's a great one to do. You can do it right from home. You can do virtual phone banks, right? There's, there's this mystery around phone banking where you think you have to go sit, like like uh, when we were kids, who's old enough to remember the old mate of the uh, Labor Day telethon, right? And all the celebrities sitting on the on the table. Now, call time now in modern political camps, we have, uh, we have software now. Uh, you dial into the software and you make your, you do call time right from home. You can call voters in a district or a state from wherever you live. Even if you're not in that state, you can call. And it goes through, it's routed through a, a software system that allows you to call. And it's, it's really easy to do. You, if you live in you know, Washington, want to help a candidate in Missouri, you can do it. It's great. You don't have to sit in a booth or anything. There's no, no silly meetings. You can do that. Those are the things I'd love to see you do as the Midas Mining, as the followers of the On Democracy podcast and friends of mine. Participate in our democracy in a very real way. It's as simple, too, as showing up at your local school board meeting, showing up at your freaking city council and county council. Believe it or not, just showing up, letting them know you're watching, okay? So those are the things you can do. And that's that's where we're at. So I hope you've had a great weekend. I hope you've enjoyed your Thanksgiving. I hope you've ha loved hanging out with me. I love hanging out with you guys. Um, it's so important we talk about these issues. We talk about our democracy. There's so much at stake. And if we don't do it, what are we going to give our kids? What's the country we're going to give our kids? What's the economy we give the future? What's the world going to see if we fail here in America by not paying attention. So with that, I'm not gonna bug you too much. As you know, I'm the national chairman, as I mentioned, the Forgotten Democrats. And Forgotten Democrats is very simple. It's, it's a, essentially a crowdsourcing thing. It's crowdfunding, right? Where your money goes in and it's distributed amongst the most needy of the candidates running for Congress, Democratic nominees. Democratic nominees for Congress will get direct payments based on their need. Those the least, get money the first. And it's a great little system. Um, some of you jokingly call it a universal basic income for candidates, kind of like that. <laughs> you know, so if a candidate's making a million dollars, he doesn't need it. But if he's only made it 10, 20, 30,000, he needs it. Those are the guys we want to help because we need to run everywhere. We've got to take Mike Johnson off the speaker's gavel. We've got to take Matt Gates. We've got to take Jim Jordan and Comer out of their chairmanships okay and put real leaders in those positions in congress and that starts with funding candidates who need the most so if you'll check out forgotten democrats i'd really appreciate it in the meantime as i mentioned it's great to have mike flynn's lawyers here i hope you enjoyed the show as much as everybody else um i'm not going to talk about your guy but thanks for showing up anyway it's great <laughs> if you want to know more about what's going on with that you guys can look it up i mean everybody's asking that 150 million dollar question right now <laughs> what's going on what's going on what is the 150 million dollar question what's going on with mike flynn well you can look it up online you can google it i'm not going to tell you because i just want his lawyers to come here watch the show and bill him for watching it with that, thanks for joining the show. I love being part of the Midas family, Midas Touch. I hope you enjoy being part of the show. We will see you next week.